This morning, a gentleman who we enjoy talking with, he's a deep thinker, a deep researcher into all things geopolitical and uh, spiritual matters. His name is Alan Watt. His main website is Cutting Through the Matrix. Mr. Watt hangs out in Ontario, Canada. Alan Watt, how are you this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, not bad at all. Well, good. And is winter beginning to uh, set in up there yet? I I sometimes wonder if winter ever left. Uh, June and July, it rained every single day, as it did last year, too. Uh Uh-huh. But uh, we get a lot of aerial spraying up here by uh, aircraft uh, zigzagging across the sky for weather manipulation. So it it goes hand in glove with it. Mm -hmm. You're not experiencing any global warming up there or anything? And no, and no, it's actually the opposite. It's definitely the cooling phase I'm going through here, yeah. Yeah, we talked to uh, Mitch Batros, Mitch, uh, earthchangesmedia.com, and, you know, he said the last two years the earth has actually been cooling. Well, now they've come out to the top, the ones who are pushing for this. You see, the whole earth changes idea is to bring the planet under control of an authority. That's really what it's for. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the Club of Rome... Uh, it's a big think tank that the, all the other lesser think tanks use. And the Club of Rome, back in the 70s, came up with the idea of how to unite the planet under one central government, the mm-hmm. United Nations. And they said that we only obey authority and allow freedoms to be taken away under the guise of uh, warfare. We all work together towards a common cause. Ah. So they'd have to find a war scenario. And in a global society, when you run out of enemies, where do you find the enemies? Well, man would be against the planet. Now, they wrote this in their own book, hmm. the two founders of the Club of Rome, uh, who belonged to all the big societies, like the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR. But uh, they, they said, um, they came up with the idea of global warming, so man was the enemy of the planet, so that would fit the bill. That's the, that's the words they use, that would fit the bill. So, that's so interesting. So, as they... Uh, uh create a brand name like terrorism or whatever yep. to have something to fight then then they could create a an enemy in the planet and yes, then you have something to fight planet. so there's too many people that's, we're hearing this now there's too many people right, right. we're going to have an authority to decide who can breed and who can't breed it's the old eugenics program hmm. of of uh, um, going way back to Darwin and then hmm. followed by Nietzsche and Superman and the Fabian Society. And, and who are these uh, Club of Rome people? Club of Rome, is, they call themselves the premier think tank. Hmm. Uh, they come up with ideas to steer and guide the future and advise governments. So these, they look ahead 50, 100, 200 years, even longer, and uh, they, they hit on the ideas. Then they pass it on to the other think tanks and round table societies who have to implement the ways of getting this in to the people's minds through media, propaganda, movies, novels, mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah, How do they, Alan Watt, where, where did they get all of their power or influence? Uh, well, the, you'll, you'll the find the, uh, in the world, there's maybe um, a, a, about a dozen maximum major foundations who fund hundreds and hundreds of other foundations as front groups. Uh, the foundations are, they call themselves uh, philanthropists, philanthropic groups, and they're run by the richest people on the planet, like the Rockefellers, you know, the Ford Foundation, mm-hmm. Carnegie, is all really run by the Rockefellers now, they took it over. Mm-hmm. But uh, you'll find that in Britain too, you have the Rothschilds, the bankers, in other words, 
it's, it's, they call themselves the parallel government and Professor Carl Quigley uh, talked about it in Tragedy and Hope. Mm-hmm. He said that mm-hmm. democracy, this is what Club of Rome said too, that democracy was too cumbersome, that people have too many demands, there's too many con- conflicting uh, antagonistic parties, and therefore they'd have to bypass democracy by a parallel government made up of ex-prime ministers, ex-presidents um, across the world who all know each other, and they join the club. When they leave the presidency, they join this club like Bill Clinton and Margaret Thatcher talks about it. She says, I, n- I now belong to the parallel government, that, which is the real government, and they get the job done. And the idea, as the Club of Rome said, is to bring us through a post-democratic system into a collectivist society. Now, collectivism is a nice term for what we, we saw in the Soviet Union, uh, where you have a central body at the top that um, uh, is responsible for doling out and dishing out the food to the public, uh, uh, your, your life is run from birth to grave, basically, by central committees appointed from the top. That's the kind of society. They call it a tidy society. They don't like this having rights and, and free will ideas. It's too untidy for them. Yeah, too untidy, right? Yes. Well, um, can one say, then, that we really have a, uh, let's see, a new world order, or I don't know whatever that means, or a one-world government now, if this parallel government has been around for some time and kind of running the show. They've chosen presidents for a very long time, haven't they? They've chosen them, according to Professor Quigley, who was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, he was. He was the official historian, because they update their own records. And um, it was interesting that it was was, uh, Zimmerman who Hmm. introduced him. Zimmerman was the historian before him. Zimmerman was the right-hand man of Winston Churchill. Uh, He was also a world communist. Um, and uh, he handed it over to Quigley. Quigley updated all the records. He fills in all the reasons for the wars, etc., in history for the last couple of hundred years, and uh, which is left out of the school books. And he also said that, um, uh, that this parallel government, in the 1960s when he wrote his book, Tragedy and Hope, and the other book, uh, The Anglo-American Establishment, you have to get both, really, mm-hmm. um, he said that this parallel government had already picked the presidents of, of all parties, uh, picked the presidents of the United States for the last 60 years. So you're, you're going back into the back into the early 1900s. Oh, I see. If you'd like to join the show, you're certainly welcome to do so. With Alan Watt, it is 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. So these 12 foundations, Alan Watt, that really are, the, were they the centerpiece of this uh, parallel government, can we say? Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell us some of those, and would we recognize their names? Yes, you can do a search. In fact, I have on my website in the archive okay, section you do. a list of all the major foundations. Now, most of them are simply fronts, specialized fronts uh, for uh, the dozen or so major foundations, the big ones, the multi-trillion dollar ones, uh, who fund them for specialized purposes. For instance, some will deal socially with, with social topics in a certain area, a specific area. One of their big things for a long time has been uh, for, for what they call family planning across the planet, which mm. is really depopulation. That's always been part of it because the elite have always been terrified that too many of what they think are the lesser types will breed and outbreed the elite types. Um, this is stated in their own records if you go back far enough into the, to the eugenic society. There's lots of information on that. And have never changed their goal. In fact, old, old Rockefeller is 94. 
and he's still going around the world, and he's up on YouTube and, um, hmm. giving talks about the need to drastically depopulate uh, across the planet. And uh, that's always been part of their agenda. So the, the idea of the depopulation or the eugenics idea is that they don't want the unwashed masses to mm -hmm. just to get too feisty or too big in in stature to maybe overturn them someday. Definitely. They've always been a, a terrified of losing their power, their control. So the best way to do it is simply to depopulate and keep them down to a manageable level. But they're going beyond that. They want to bring us into what they call post- uh, or transhumanist uh, societies, then post-human, where they can literally clone uh, better types of servants and workers. And that's why our tax money, apart from bailing out the, their bankers, uh, is also going into... Um, uh, this tremendous research into cloning. It's not because they want a, fit, a happy population uh, that's uh, very healthy. It's because they want a healthy population that are good slaves, basically, and can't think for themselves. But I'm, I'm curious about uh, the ultimate goal or motive behind, say, owning all the gold, having palatial places and, and total control of the entire world uh, with just kind of drone... Mm -hmm. You know, drones, uh, Alan, walking around. What, what would be the a satisfaction or pleasure or accomplishment in that? It doesn't somehow that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh -huh. well, what, why would that be? Why would that be uh, uh, pleasurable to people? Well, you're not dealing with ordinary people that you know and meet and so on. Hmm. You're dealing with people who are brought up with a from birth with a completely different worldview. Ah. Uh. Um, they see things from a completely different uh, side. Uh, they're in on the know from from a very early age. They know they're different. Number one, they know that that um, they have an incredible power. Uh, they know they can never tell the ordinary people the scams that are pulled over the ordinary people in order to control them and move them into uh, the next stage or phase of this the great societies. They sometimes term it. Mm -hmm. um, they can't uh, come out and tell us outright that they want uh, a lot of us just to simply stop breeding. They have published in their own books, especially back in the early 1900s, uh, that they want the right to say who will breed and who will not breed. So, so can we say then, are you suggesting that there's a deeper kind of, uh, let's use the term, spiritual uh, idea with maybe secret societies and where the, they're doing this because they're thinking at the long term that this is going to fulfill something for them in the future, maybe the next life or something, and this is their job and they've been chosen to do this, that kind of thing? There's no doubt that in these families, um, tradition is something they often couch it in, uh, that they're family traditions, um, and they're tremendously proud of their ancestry. Uh, if you go to the nobility uh, of Britain, and you look at the genealogies, the, the, the standard genealogies of the elite of the, even the ancient world, of selective, very special um, mating. They, they mate with power. They don't mm. mate with someone they simply fall head over heels with. Like a, the in the, king, the days of kings and queens and stuff. Yeah, so you yeah. marry power, mm -hmm. and what you're, you're doing is marrying certain traits. Now, um, people in ancient times who got to the top and slaughtered, uh, and, and took over with their families uh, I remember put up to be kings or princes or whatever uh, they tend to be very ruthless people very cunning but ruthless in other words they're psychopathic by nature 
And if you go into the, the religions, the ancient religions too, they're basically pantheistic in a sense. And, and when you understand pantheism... Many gods? Is that, what, is that what that means? Many gods? Uh, it, what, it, what it is uh, in pantheism, and it's couched in the mysteries, all the mysteries down through the ages are the same mystery. Uh, it's couched. You, you get a good example in, for instance, Egypt, mm -hmm. uh, where they had all these different deities. In other words, you have specialized deities for specialized functions. Hmm. You'll find this even in, 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 say, the Old Testament if you go into the Old Testament as well, you get many, many clues of different deities that specialized over certain areas of human life or nature. Mm -hmm. And in, in Egypt, eventually, uh, the, the real higher religion that the nobility already, already understood was brought out by um, Akhenaten, who said that uh, all these deities are really, really one deity. They're like special parts of the same deity. Mm -hmm. So pantheism... In, a, in an extent, has always had this fight between uh, both beliefs combined into one. Uh, the ordinary people like to have special deities. I'm in trouble in this way, therefore I need this deity to help me out. Right. Even, in the, even in the Catholic Church, I grew up in the Catholic Church years ago, Alan Wadden, they, they would have a special kind of saints to help yes. you find something or... I don't know, you know, that there was all these different kind of people that had specialized in helping you for, with a particular problem. That's correct, and they did take a lot of, of the old paganism into the Catholic Church mm. because the early church wanted converts and they had to, to relate to the people who, who knew paganism. Mm -hmm. And find, In fact, you'll find a lot of the, the Catholic um, saints really were, were just directly taken straight from paganism and, and brought up to date for really? Christianity. Here's an email from Steve in South Carolina. Uh, please ask Alan Watt if the the uh, the Club of Rome that he has mentioned is any connection with the Vatican and how does the Vatican uh, play out in the New World Order kind of uh, one world government? Well, the Vatican... We have to remember that in every major uh, player, major player's writings or books or their biographies, they'll always mention at the top, and talk about world leaders and so on, um, the real movers and shakers, they always mention that religion is very important for controlling the public. And they've mentioned the Catholic Church, and, and that they wouldn't just destroy the Catholic Church, they'd have to use it because. Why destroy something that already leads millions of people across the planet? You, so you use it. And we, we've seen the changes uh, of the Catholic Church. Um, that was a political, religious power for many, many centuries. You must remember this. And <coughs> it was ruthless to its enemies. And it did have enemies. It had enemies even in the Middle Ages that tried to take over and replace the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. the Cathars, now the Gentians, the Bogomils. They were all the same people with pagan ideas. That the people thought were eradicated. They thought that they died off a thousand years prior to that. But here they are. They turn up in Europe, and they actually have their secret societies. that became the Rosicrucians, and then became um, Freemasonry as we know it today. Hmm. Um, what is your opinion about the Bible, uh, the origins of the Bible, when it was written, who wrote it, and its significance in? In our culture, it seems like it's, it sure gets a lot of, lot of credibility wherever you go. It's credibility because within it, like all 
religions, they'll take in philosophies that have to make sense to, to people in some areas. Uh, everything that they want you into must make sense to bring you in, and then you find a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, but you're supposed to take it on faith. And that's where the con is always. When you can't understand something, there's something else going on. But um, So they, they, they used to culture under, under philosophies. Now, um, in ancient times, definitely in the Middle Eastern areas, uh, you had these, pagan, again, pagan societies. And the idea was whenever you were in trouble, you would call down a deity, but you had to go to a priest to call down a special deity that knew its name and how to bind it, needed to, it, it to, to, to use it. For you you needed an intermediary kind of thing. Yes, you yeah. needed the guy who knew the formula. Hmm. He, he knew how to keep uh, the, the safe from the deities. The whole idea with the genie in the bottle, uh, out would come the genie, hmm. and the genie would try to outsmart you, so you had to get its name. You find the same thing in, in the Old Testament. There's lots of little clues in the Old Testament. Um, now, the Old Testament really is there to give you a system uh, which you don't question. It's, it simply tells you how it is. In the Old Testament, if you understand it, um, uh, even in Genesis, people get confused. They say, you know, there's two beginnings here. There's man, and God creates man and, and, his, and woman, and, and his perfect image creates he them. And then it, it's almost like we forgot that, and then they go on to the creation of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. Well, in the higher religion, there is only two kinds of, of uh, beings on the planet. There's man and there's animals, and Adam and Eve would be in amongst the animals. Amongst the animals? Yeah. Hmm. And that's part, that's why you have two beginnings in Genesis. Hmm. Uh, so so the, per the clue is in the perfection God created man and woman in his perfect image created he them. They were perfect. In other words, they were like a complete clone of the deity with power. But then it said there was no one to till the soil. So then he created Adam. Well, who was behind the whole biblical movement and writing of it and, and really pushing it over the years as being the book? We've, we've, well, everything is pushed, remember, by power, money. Money is what pushes every idea across the public. The whole culture now is dependent upon those who have the money and media, and and they put money towards causes, charitable causes like religions, etc. Mm -hmm. um, that's always been the way of it. And if you understand, as I say, that power, to have power and maintain power, you must have control of the minds of the public. So you must give out a religion for all ages. Even Gorbachev, uh, Michael Gorbachev, who runs one of the big movements towards environmentalism and depopulation and the happy planet idea, um, has said in his own, own books, uh, one of them was called Towards a, a New Civilization, he said, I am an atheist, he said. But he said, then he says, we, we, meaning the people involved in this global structure, we are creating a new world religion for the world. And it must be based on a form of earth worship. Well, this is the whole greening idea that children in school getting brainwashed into. Uh, you're only part of the planet. We're all one big whole uh, combination idea. This is what they're creating for the future. And it's backed by all the big bankers, all the philanthropic uh, organizations, foundations. Where the money is, is is how your future is going to be. And that's what you're going to believe. Hmm. Yeah. But, but in general, I mean, the greening of the planet, I mean... Do you consider that a negative thing? If people are using more creative energy and well, if you 
were to believe that that was their purpose. I see. You understand, these guys have, have always been liars. <laughs> and, and they've never told the public the truth or the real reasons. If you look at the Soviet idea, let's take, take the Soviet system. Now remember, collectivism is, is, is what they based it on. Where, where a special elite at the top um, pretend to dish out the, the materials of production to the public. You know, and all the public uh, uh, pretend to work for the state, and the state pretends to pay you. Uh, you see, that's the whole idea mm -hmm. of the big con. Mm -hmm. The idealism is what grabs people off like a religion yes. uh, for a utopia, but it's never what they, what they claim it's going to be. It's really a drab, dreary system where you're, you're terrified you're going to be hauled off to a gulag somewhere. This, this never changes. It, it's gone on since the beginning of time, hasn't it? Yes. Now, what <laughs> they've always wanted at the top is the right... You see, see that was the guise of a small elite to hold not only the means of production under the pretense of holding it for the world, mm -hmm. but also the distribution of production. That means everything that you need to live on. Now, George Orwell said when a group has the power to, to dish out the, what you need to survive, right? he says you're now under tyranny. And when they call it a privilege to have this yeah. or this food or whatever, that's you're under a tyranny. And this is the, this is the, the same agenda under many names that have tried down through the years uh, into into this new society. The greening, we're all in it together. Idea, we're all in this war together to save the world, and and we're all going to be happy in some utopia. No, we're not going to be happy in some utopia. These guys are liars from the beginning. Um, the same bankers who've just ripped us off and got rewarded for doing so um, are the same guys who put the money towards these philanthropic causes. And carbon is the enemy, and now we know from our our education through Andrew Goss, Alan Watt, that Goldman Sachs yeah. is behind the whole cap-and-trade thing, and they are the people that will benefit from the cap-and-trade. Yes, they are. And not only that, uh, the Lord Rothschild put forward, he's high in this big movement, uh, he, I've read the articles on the air from the British newspapers. Um, he put forward the whole uh, idea of the carbon, uh, the personal carbon taxes. Now, it's not, not only corporations or countries, it's going to go right down to the personal level. Rothschild, he, 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 he kicked off the carbon thing? That's right. Hmm. And See, they've been planning this for about 40 years. We didn't hmm. even hear about it the last couple of years. And, and he said, too, that, uh, that the, the, all these world carbon taxes will go through his bank, his family bank in Switzerland. <laughs> sure. Isn't that wonderful? These guys are good, man. And so, so you think the carbon thing that their goal is is to get it down to, so they'll send Patrick a bill for whatever he's using. Uh, this, this. That's in the major media. Mm -hmm. Now I've read it from the air just the other night. In fact. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. Very, yeah, I mean, there's actually places in the country... And I'm not sure what states, but I believe there's two or three where they've got away with taxing people for collecting rainwater. Oh, they've, they've gone even further. Gee, it all, the United Nations is the biggest front organization ever devised by the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council of Foreign Relations. They pushed it into existence as a front, to, an embryo to bring this world together. Every law that you have in environment for the last 40, 50 years, right down to your plumbing, your septic, your house codes and all, all come from the United Nations to every country, and it's signed into law uh, without debate. So what is the story on the UN, Alan Watt? Where, who, who put <coughs> them together, and who, who controls the United Nations? Well, it, it, you have to go again to Carl Quigley. He, he's the man who really put it out for the first time to the public. 
he wasn't just a professor, he was an advisor to the Pentagon and to, to the Foreign uh, uh, the Department of State, to the high diplomatic offices and so on. Um, he was a man who chose Rhodes Scholars to be sent over to Britain for world government, like Bill Clinton. He chose him. Uh-huh. And um, he talks about um, the history of this group, from the Lord Milner Society in Britain. They're all bankers. Hmm. Uh, they became the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's a chartered private organization that has uh, rules in media. Every, every major p- member of the media in every country is a member of it. And in the foreign countries, they call themselves the Council on Foreign Relations. So it's the same bunch. They go back to the late 1800s. And I heard on the radio this morning that they're they're really getting feisty, the UN, about this whole uh, global warming thing, and and you know they want to really get something going. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean we have to run our lives, you see, from the experts. Now, many of the members of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, in fact, pretty well all of their members. Uh, gave us our history for the whole 20th century. They wrote the books on histories hmm. and uh, on science. Hmm. And so um, guys like Lord Bertrand Russell said they will train the public uh, that they cannot think for themselves without the advice of an expert. And that's the, that is the scientific society they have brought into existence. We have scientists telling us all this kind of stuff. But what we don't look into is, say, the... the um, that the, the the panel on climate change at the United Nations International Panet, Panel on Climate Change IPCC they call it this is where all this climate change stuff is coming from the, the banks and counted uh, put everything on uh, this whole idea of climate change unfortunately the, the warming hasn't gone on yeah. and, and so now that they're calling it climate, climate change well the world's always had climate changes oh I see so they, the weather. they had to change it because they got the timing wrong on the sunspots or whatever that they had to change it from global warming to climate change well now they've also come out just to cover their bases <laughs> And said, well, it actually might cool within this warming period. It yeah. might cool for the next 20 years and then warm again. <laughs> These guys are good, boy. We're talking with Alan Watt, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Just a, a plethora of information that Mr. Watt works on tirelessly for many years. CDs, DVDs, and books, and all kinds of stuff. So if you're interested in learning more about these kinds of things, this is a great stop for you. CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You know... I, uh, Andrew Goss, our, our money mentor, Alan Watt, has mentioned Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley so often. I think it's time that I've read that. I mean, that sounds like it's quite a book. It really is. It, it, it's the only book that, that's been put out. And he said the same thing. There is a parallel government, he said. Hmm. It's existed for 60 years, he said. Uh, it's run by very powerful, rich people. Uh, they have an, a world agenda. He lays out the agenda. Then he tells you how they, they were achieving their, their, their goals in, in his day. And, and prior to his life, he, he goes through the reasons for the wars, who financed them, what their goals were to bring in this unified planet under their particular rule, under various guises, and uh, we're, we're living through the, 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 the predictions, the plan. The mm-hmm. plan, not just uh, predictions, but the plan that they set up a long time ago. We're with Alan Watt here on a uh, Tuesday morning, and back just a second with the second half. From the Hill Country of Texas, this is One Radio Network. We're with Alan Watt this morning. We're live September 22nd, 2009. His website is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Uh, emails, Patrick at One Radio Network. 
couple more emails. Let's get to this one. This one is Robert. Please ask Alan Watt what he knows about the formation of the uh, uh, FDA on the American Medical Association and allopathic medicine. He said, I understand that the Rockefellers had something to do with it about 100 years ago. Does Alan Watt have any insight on that? Because it's certainly a current thing to talk about, healthcare. Yes, I mean, the whole allopathic idea uh, was put out by the Rockefellers themselves. Not just the Rockefellers, they had hundreds of people working full-time in a massive organization, even way back yonder. And um, the idea was to bring in, again, science uh, as as the new master in in medicine, and as long as they controlled it, mind you. Mm -hmm. And from that day to this day, all the major pharmaceutical companies have members from the Rockefeller Foundation working full-time. So it's all, really all the pharmas across the world hmm. are really one big company yeah. under, under the, the rule. Uh, and what um, the Rockefellers did was to, to, to standardize a particular education for doctors so they all get the same training. They're basically fronts, whether they know it or not, for the pharma companies. All they do is prescribe uh, and also to eliminate the whole key to everything for taking over the world and any sphere, money, medicine, all the sciences, uh, uh, agriculture, is, is monopoly. You must have monopolization, and you must make sure that only your method is taught through the universities. That's the key to it, to eliminate all competition, all alternatives, uh-huh. and, and you. Uh, and eventually, sure enough, after a generation or two or three generations, if you were to mention any alternative to what's out there in the drug industry, even the average person will think you're crazy. They've, they've really been taught to believe that doctors... Uh, are somehow uh, holier than now, and they they, they walk on water uh, again through propaganda, through fictional TV dramas and stuff. This is ongoing even today. There's more medical dramas out there and movies than than, than anything. And the doctor kind of really knows his stuff because he he's going to medical school. He goes to medical school mm-hmm. for science. You see, this 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 uh, this thing you cannot dispute. This science is taught and of course as we know when we go into the to the drug industry it's a horror show it's an absolute horror show uh they've even had documentaries on the cbc here um that's like a bbc version for canada Mm -hmm. run by the government uh where the big farmers hire they hire they've always done this they hire writers to write positive reports on all all the the, their drugs and to negate or downplay all the side effects and these are professional writers that do this all the time for them. And yes, and a lot of them have gotten caught over the last couple of years in, you know, rigging these uh, tests and stuff. They do it all the time with every particular drug. But again, too, remember that what their long-term goal is, isn't just money and profit. Hmm. Um, if you're into money and profit, you're, you're always fearing and, and eliminating competition. It's also the end product where they've told us that they want to bring into this world what they call world peace. That was the, the, the front under communism, too. They said, um, they said uh, uh, when they win, uh, it'll be terminated. In other words, the termination of war uh, will happen when there is world peace. World peace meant the absence of all um, competition or, or, or opposition. Yeah, so without that, without without a lot of debt and competition, then you have no reason to kill each other. Yes, and they talked about drugging the whole of society, if need be. Hmm. I mean, at one time, I can remember in my parents' day, um, people would think maybe three or four times about taking an aspirin, and then say, no, I won't. 
because people were suspicious of drugs. They're not natural things in your, for your body to, to start with. Mm -hmm. But now we, we, we go from the simple aspirin to much more complex drugs on a daily basis. It's a huge... So, so uh, Alan, what was it in the early 1900s when the Rockefellers brought this allopathic uh, idea out? Yes, it was. And they were um, behind it. They were behind this. Oh, they were behind it. And they could understand. See, the Rockefellers themselves, obviously, uh, one or two people could not sit and plan all the different areas that they, they got into immediately. You were talking, you're talking really about an organization, and the Rockefellers themselves uh, were a part of it, but they're more of a front. Uh, one or two people, it's like being a president of the United States, you could never learn every department that mm. you have underneath you in your whole term in office. It's impossible. There's so mm. many departments. It's the same with the Rockefellers. They have fingers in every pie um, across the board in social life. Uh, and um, old Rockefeller himself, this, he still concentrates mainly on the depopulation issue. Um, but the rest of his foundation is into every aspect of life. Um, you're looking at a fun, uh, an organization that has many tentacles, many fronts, and it's out for total domination of the planet. There's no doubt about this whatsoever. And are you concerned about the availability of alternatives? Of course, we've heard about this thing called Codex for years, and... You know, people are getting, you know, they're getting hammered here and there. They've always uh, attacked uh, M MDs that are holistic and doing things. Uh, mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem to be, I don't know, they don't seem to be able to get away with much, Alan Watt, because there's so many people into alternative medicine. Do you think there's so many that they're not going to be able to control it or not? Oh, no. Uh, these characters never give up. <laughs> and you should never relax for a minute because whenever you think you've won something, they're, they're already bringing it back under a different guise or a different mm. direction. Um, there's no doubt that every, see, everything in this world, in this new world order, and this term is being used now by prime ministers openly at the G20. Like, sure. like Brown, he used it. Sure. And it's a new world order where you'll be ordered from birth to death to serve the world state. That's the whole purpose of it, serving. That's why Obama brought in service, mandatory voluntary service. Canada's following suit, and so is Britain. Uh, so it's to be a world where you serve the world state for the good of society, uh, as, they, as they like to couch it. Um, but it's also a world where, where you, will not, uh, be, be, you will not have a private business uh, eventually that will be that will go by the wayside too like the Soviet system and and all medicine will be controlled by a, cent, a central uh, world authority it has to be always central uh, that's the whole key of what used to call communism was centralization kind of like power. a super FDA yes and uh, uh, and again you see you cannot have anybody outside the, the loop uh, doing their own thing in medicine uh, under their, their system so therefore, everything has to be regulated and authorized by the United Nations. The World Health Organization at the United Nations was set up to do just this, to be the, to be the chief for all medical purposes. Uh, and that, that's the key to it. Is that why uh, WHO, World Health Organization, is so out front on this whole swine flu thing? Yes, and it's giving it incredible prominence for one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, rising, they're putting up to its proper stature. It's rising up to its proper stature mm -hmm. as it was designed to do. And they've said in their own world meetings, if you go back, that they, they were set up to be the world health authority that will guide the rest of the world under mandate. Oh. So that's happening as we live. And eventually, everything that you need, whether it's food or whatever, you'll have to go to a government agency. When you want medicine, you'll have to go to a registered 
medical doctor, approved doctor mm. for anything. And that, that includes vitamins. They want to make sure that, that even vitamins you'll have to get a prescription for. So, folks, that'll, that's, that gives a lot more weight to what we do here at One Radio Network, thinking that our ultimate goal is that uh, we're not going to need anything except the right food. You know, we're getting, that's what we're working towards because we'll prepare for the best and hope for the worst. And if a lot of stuff gets taken away, we won't need it because we'll know we've had our body in such shape that if we can grow the right foods, uh, then we're going to be okay. Uh, here's an email from Heather out your way, uh, Alan Watt, in Montreal. Hello, I just finished the book Dope, Inc. by Lyndon LaRouche, which was well-researched about the drug trade and how it uh, was backed by royalty, particularly Britain. Can Alan comment on this? Thank you. Yes, uh, drugs have always been used by the elite on the public, hmm. uh, done through centuries. Uh, so it's poisons as well. If they want to eliminate people too, they, they often put stuff in the streams, etc. If they want to eliminate a certain part of the population, um, starvation was another, just cutting off the food supplies. But drugs definitely, I mean, it's out in the open uh, in, in the history books now, thanks to the work uh, and the pushing for a lot of people, that uh, the British royalty... And uh, a lot of the American, I call them royalty or aristocracy, um, such as the, those from Yale University, the Bushes, in fact, and the Careys and these boys, uh, they all made uh, millions of dollars off the drug trade when they, when they, had, they were taking down China. They took China down by importing lots of, uh, of uh, dope, uh, opium, bales of opium from India and dumping it on the shores of, of China addicting the populations to bring it, uh, China mm. down to its knees, which they did very successfully. Uh, this is now all out in the history books for the first time, so um, it took only took a hundred odd years to, to get it, uh, 150 years to get in the history books. But uh, George Orwell, for instance, uh, his name was Blair. He was a, tr- he was a member of an uh, intergenerational diplomatic family for the, the British crown. And uh, his father, he said in his own biography, his father was uh, the, the superintendent or, or the, the main chutzpah, you might say, for the British um, uh, Opium Company in Burma. And when that was brought up in Parliament in Britain at the time in the 1930s by a guy I think it was called Thompson, a member of Parliament, um, the, the public didn't know that Britain still had opium companies. And when they were investigated into it, all the members of the shareholders of the company um, now, they're using British armies to, to protect it and taxpayers' money to, 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 for farmers and stuff. Uh, they, they didn't know that, that all the members were members of the royalty and the cousins and so on of all the, the, the lesser royalty. That These are the only ones who, had, who were shareholders in this world corporation. Ellen, what, what do you think the, uh, the, the idea or the paradigm that we are not told about, uh, the real story in Afghanistan? What's going on there? Why? Why? Why all this interest in Afghanistan? It's partly um, because out of all the, the, the areas out there in the countries, Afghanistan has, has been a, a tribal society, many different tribes, uh, with long-standing traditions of, of uh, a pecking order, you might say. Mm-hmm. Everyone in their place, everyone owns their own area, that's it. Um, it will not fit into this new world order very easily. Uh, very ancient traditions, um, ingrained culture. It's very, very old culture. Uh, but also, it's, it's strategic. It's a very strategic place for them. 
Um, we've got to remember that Britain was the first country to try and, and take over that area uh, and the, 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 and the armies in there into the Khyber Pass, again, for the opium fields. Huh? And when was that? Uh, they were in there in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And uh, every, many countries have tried since then. Now, under, this, under the Cold War uh, farce, I call it the farce, uh, because it was planned how long it would last and it was how, how long uh, even the communist system would last before they changed the West. And uh, you find that the Soviets eventually were in there too mm-hmm. and were hammering them for years with the aid of the U.S. And once they finish, the U.S. is in there hammering them. So it doesn't matter which group you get to hammer the people, they want them down. <laughs> but the first thing that, that Britain did, that uh, George Bush did once they got in there was to... Uh, ordered the farmers to go back to growing poppies because it was forbidden under the the, the Taliban rule. They, they banned poppy growing and opium. So George Bush, Bush okayed it again. That was in all the major media at the time. But it's also strategic, geopolitically uh, strategic for, for pipelines crossing their land into other countries. They have these far-reaching plans. Oh, you mean like China. oil coming from the Mideast to, to yeah. China and places like that? <coughs> Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason for it, yeah. Yeah. And the one I I just, there's so much out there about it, and I hazard to, I hazard to go in there because it's such a black hole. But give us your opinion, Alan Watts' opinion, the short story on what this whole Israeli thing is about and how how they seem to be at the center of so much of this, uh, you know, this war that is brewing and uh, seems to be uh, in our in our consciousness for the next few years. We have to go into, again, geopolitics. Geopolitics is a goal that might take a hundred years to, to, uh, to achieve your goal. Uh, Britain was the master of, of geopolitics and strategy for taking countries down. They, they spent a hundred years taking down India, getting all the different tribes and supplying all the different tribes to fight each other and then once they were war weary and broken up and, and destroyed the Britain basically took the whole country over a hundred years yeah pretty well hmm. and uh, that's how the, you, you work out uh, how you take down societies and then reorganize them under your rule it's long-term strategy now Zygmunt Brzezinski is a big key player in geopolitics and up on YouTube and it's on my site too you'll see him in the 70s in Afghanistan, for instance, uh, and you'll hear him saying this, this is a holy war you're fighting against the Russians, you see. It's a holy war, it's a jihad. Hmm. And now, of course, he's out there with his geopolitics trying to take the Afghanis down now that they've fought the Russians. I mean, every country is used, but Israel, uh, they needed a place in the Middle East. And uh, it's interesting if you look into the history of it, because one of the one of the, the overseers for Britain, the lieutenant governor, or general as they call it, who's got the royal authority of the British crown, was uh, Sir, Sir Ronald Storrs. And he was in there in the 1930s. He gives the history in his own book, it's called Orientations, of, of their goals for that region. And he says, and they were importing primarily uh, Jewish people from Russia at that time into Israel in the 1930s mm-hmm. and he said now you've got to understand the British history because they've kept Ireland uh, fighting each other with Protestants and Catholics since the days of Queen Elizabeth I mm. that's beautiful geopolitics 
divide and conquer, and you, you can always come in and restore the peace and conquer. Selling gun, guns to both sides and all and, that. And uh, mm-hmm. that's geopolitics. Now, in, in Northern Ireland, what became Northern Ireland, uh, Britain put in a lot of hard, uh, hard Presbyterian uh, loyal to the crown uh, groups, uh, and that became uh, Ulster in Northern Ireland. And uh, they've always been totally uh, faithful to the British crown against against the Catholic Church uh, and against any, any foreign dominion, as they call it. They're, always, they're completely loyal to the British crown, regardless of what the crown does. And this man, Storrs, in Israel said, the lieutenant governor, he says, we are setting up an Ulster mm-hmm. in the Middle East. In other words, a perpetual thorn in the sides of everyone around them. Hmm. Uh, and that's that was his own words in his own book. That yeah. just keeps the the kind of pot boiling. It does, uh-huh. uh, because they had to. They had, they, see, these guys knew back then they wanted to take a world over. They wanted to take over the resources of the world, and that's what we're seeing today. It's all a resource war, mm-hmm. as as it gets put into fewer and fewer hands. The hands it was intended to get to, mm-hmm. and it'll all be dished out to us piecemeal, and it'll be a privilege to get food eventually. But. Um, this is a war on the entire planet, uh, long-range, geopolitical, and um, there's no doubt about it. You see, their main enemy, number one, and this, is, this was admitted by Aldo Huxley. It's up, there's a good interview by Mike Wallace going way back uh, with Huxley. And Aldo Huxley was a big player, again, descended from the, 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 the Darwin, Sir uh, Thomas Huxley crew, um, his descendants are still going, Sir, Sir Crispin Tickles uh, in charge of the Optimum Population Trust for depopulating the planet. But Aldo Huxley says to Wallace, um, apart from the, his little statement, he says, where a small minority can take over and control the world using sciences, uh, he also says uh, that um, uh, the main enemy of this world do- dominion, this global movement, has always been the Catholic Church. Hmm. It is because the Catholic Church, even though it's a geopolitical, it's also geopolitical. Obviously, it was a world society, um, but even though it was it was a, a power structure as well uh, into politics, that was its main failing in a sense. It went to too much politics and forgot the spiritual. Um, he said it was the only opposition at that time in the fifties and sixties to world collectivism or communism. This, this, this is the guise that this uh, rich men's group is going under. It's, it's for the good of all. Communism, collectivism. It says once that's gone, there's nothing to stop it. Hmm. Well, you see, that's already happened. The Catholic Church was completely infiltrated. It had been before that. Uh, Malachi Martin uh, wrote excellent books about the downfall of the Catholic Church. Uh, he was a Jesuit priest at one time. He also was an advisor to two popes and one of the cardinals mm-hmm. in Rome. Um, and he said in his last book, Windswept House, uh, that it, now it was totally taken over by the societies, as he called them. And he writes about it in that particular book. So the Catholic Church, although it's destroyed as an opposition force, is now to be used for a force for world peace as part of this whole world movement now. It's a, it's a, it's a patsy, yeah. It's mm-hmm. a pawn, yeah. We're with Alan Watt here on a uh, Tuesday morning, September 22nd, 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. We'll end uh, with the whole financial stuff. We, as you know, Alan Watt, I mean, stories circle the Internet daily about the financial crash that's coming. 
and how China and people are dumping dollars and etc. And our man Andrew Goss suggests that that he believes these this kind of talk is merely a smokescreen, and that these people really are all kind of working together for one goal. And uh, China knows exactly what it's doing. And if you actually look at the numbers, they have not decreased their 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 purchasing of of treasuries at all. And uh, they're actually using treasuries to buy stuff around the world, buy resources as collateral. And uh, they, Andrew Goss argues that they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And if they wanted to let this thing crash, they could have let that long ago. Yeah. 9-11. Do you uh, generally agree with that assumption, or do you think they are really fighting with each other and this dollar is going to totally crash and burn? What's your opinion? Uh, no, there's no fighting with China whatsoever. In fact, the, the Western bankers created modern China uh, from from its inception of, of modernization. That's what Mr. Goss says, yes. Yes, uh, and uh, it, was, it was the Western powers, again, through the United Nations and the agreement through through the, the GATT, the GATT Treaty, mm-hmm. uh, that every country was sold out uh, for being producers mm-hmm. because it was decided back in the 30s to, to set China up and make them the world producer, mm. the world manufacturer. Mm. Now, after World War II, um, in World War II, they set up Japan to be the ones who would hold the debt for the U.S. That was arranged by the big bankers. What do you mean hold the debt, Alan? Well, they would buy the bonds. Okay. They, they'd be the one buying the treasuries. Yes. Okay. And so they were set up uh, under the plan that devised during World War II for a post-war Japan. And they said that they'd set them up as the manufacturer of all uh, technology, mainly electronics at that time. So that was their, 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 their bonus for good, having this war with us. That was a payoff to an extent. They, are, they always make sure they have a purpose for the country they're going to use and then take down and hmm. build up again in a different area. Interesting. Now, China uh, was totally financed by uh, the West into its modernization uh, status. You see, China, remember, the United Nations has said that China is the model state for the world. In other words, we've all followed China mm. on its one child per family stuff. Uh, that mm-hmm. It's still a communist government. There's no democracy there. You do what you're told by authorities there, and that's it. So it's, it is the model state for us all to follow. It was created by the Western banking powers. China didn't come up and, and, and pull itself up by the bootstraps and say we're going to be a modern industrial country. Uh, it took the GATT Treaty, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, where every manufacturer in the Western Hemisphere was pretty well forced to go over to China uh, because once the, it started to, to, to build in China, manufacture in China, and, and other companies had already gone there, you couldn't compete with them. So you had to move there. And even the clothing manufacturers all moved there too mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was all done by our own politicians meeting at the top and signing these deals into law, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs. And not only that, by the way, the average American and Canadian doesn't even know, and, and the whole European the, the community, they don't know that um, we paid for every factory that was moved over to China. We paid for them, the retooling they're setting up in China through our tax money. We guaranteed any, to, to pay off any profits that they would lose during that setup period for up to 10 years. Mm. That was all done by what we thought as our politicians. Well, we've been under totalitarianism for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So they are all in it together. Absolutely. There is no such thing as democracy. In fact, in the Club of Rome, they said we have to be post-democratic. It's too untidy. Well, guess what? We've never had democracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how does India fit into all of this? 
India, again, uh, you, you have to look at the big boys and, and what they say. Now, they have technocrats, as Quigley called them, the ones who are, have more power than any politician to do the real work behind the scenes, and, and they, that's, their, that's their payoff. They're, they're well-rewarded. They know they have the real power to get things done in the parallel government. Now, uh, you, you, uh, Brzezinski talked about them, so did Kissinger. Uh, they talked about the up-and-coming emerging countries, and, and he said Brazil was one, and then another mm. one was, was India. And we're, we're all scratching our heads saying, well, what's happening in these countries? Well, see, we, it's because we don't know the big plans that are made for these countries. There is not a country in this world that can bring itself up by the bootstraps. It cannot happen. It takes massive injection of money via the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, to make anything happen. And, and that's what they've done with these countries. They have big goals for the whole of Latin America. Uh, that's why the U.S. has been pounding them for 40-odd for, for years uh, to make sure that they get the right people in uh, to bring in the new uh, United America structure. The European Union was the first union. The next union was to be the Union of the Americas and then the, the Pacific region uh, conglomerate as well, including Australia that's getting lumped in with China right now as we speak. Um, so Karl Marx wrote about this back in the 1840s. He said there'll be a united Europe uh, with, with a, a government subservient to a world body. A united Americas will follow it subservient to a world body. And then a Pacific Rim region uh, subservient to the world body. It's, it's all going according to plan, very old plan, well publicized in their own books, actually. It's just that the general public are kept spinning by the media. Hmm. That's the job of the middleman. The media means the middle. Keeping their eyes off off of the ball was really going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Or whatever they can come up. So then you see a Canada, U.S., uh, Mexico uh, partnership somewhere in our future. Oh, it's here. Uh, and, and Canadian television, uh, the CBC, as I say, is the, is the BBC version of for Canada. Mm -hmm. It's the same format. It's run by the government. When uh, they did the first open signing for the, for the NAFTA, for, for, for the uh, integration of the Americas, that was publicized on television here. All they had in the, in the U.S. papers was the three amigos meet in Waco, Texas, to right. sign an agreement, uh, the, the, the two presidents and the prime minister. But here, they actually went deeper into it, and they showed you some of the questions of the reporters to the three amigos. And uh, they were asked, uh, we've watched Europe integrate together under a common government. Is that what's happening here? And then they kerfuffled around it, and then the reporter came on to tell you what they'd said afterwards. He says, yes, is that is the goal. He says, it has to be this way. Well, get the reporter was a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. That is their goal. Mm -hmm. So does that ultimately mean... Uh Lower wages, yes. In general, in general, lower wages because yes. you just kind of lower the standard of living. That's what the whole greening thing is about. You're seeing your standard of living getting reduced now under the guise of saving the world, less carbon output, and so on. Hmm. You're going to see a flattened society, a collectivist society across the world. No middle class, by the way. They've said that in all the writings. And uh, you, you, the, the, um, the, the NAFTA agreement has been signed every year. They, they meet to sign it, to integrate it further. That's what they did with Europe. They called it creating closer ties until, lo and behold, you're suddenly under a new parliament. Uh, that's happening right now. The last signature for the total integration is to be done next year, 2010. So I'm curious, as much as you know and research this, I'm just amazing... Uh, what and the, the knowledge that you carry around, the information. Why then do you choose to live in Canada, and will you stay there? Uh, 
I don't know where I'll stay, uh-huh. but um, uh, Canada it was, it was the handiest place for me, first of all, to get out of, of a collectivist uh, Britain. Mm-hmm. Britain was already utterly socialist. It didn't matter what, what so-called party was in power. It had been, it had been socialist from the days of George Orwell in the 40s. They're truly going through it now, aren't they? Oh, Britain, you wouldn't believe really? how it truly is. It's a collectivist society run by the small... The government's in charge of everything. Every agency that was a service, mm. and that's the key to collectivism. Lenin said this. He says, well, we'll create all these services, health service, uh, child care services, etc. They all become authorities in the end, and that's what you have. Now, you're run by authorities from every angle. Uh-huh. So, uh, what do you think this, uh, in closing, what do you think this health care thing, the real story is about this? Healthcare will, will go the way of, of even the sci-fis that they brought out to show us what would happen in the future. Healthcare is to go into a mandatory system where you will be weighed like an animal. I'm not kidding. It's been the newspapers. They want to actually weigh everybody under the guise of the war on obesity that comes from the United Nations. Uh, it can be a war height, on fat now, right? War on fat. And, and it'll be height. <laughs> IQ is also coming into it now to the, the old eugenics plan. They want to test everyone's IQ. They actually want that already they're aborting children under the possibility that there could be inherited traits and defects. Now they're stepping it up to, well, I might even have allergies or asthma. So let's just abort the child. Well, the next step, according to the American Psychological Association, the old eugenics plan, well, it could, it might have criminal tendencies. Hmm. This is where they're going. It's a creeping incremental thing, but they're really getting their way, and mums are listening to them because we've all been taught to, to listen to the scientists, the experts, you see. And you don't realize that you're on a your total eugenics path, written about, uh, and look into the eugenics societies of America, run by the Rockefellers. Uh, they actually had mandatory abortion in a lot of the U.S. states, right up into the 1970s, and the public don't even know this. And so a lot of folks are concerned about the the whole uh, combining of the, of the records, electronic, to be all part of this new healthcare oh, thing, yes. whatever comes out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to have cattle, see, we're cattle. If you're going to have cattle and own the herd, you're going to make sure that the kind of breed that you want and health that they want. Certain yeah. weight, certain height, IQ, not too bright, you know. That's what you're after. Got to tag them, too, so you Could know you, where you they are. Tag them. Absolutely. <laughs> Put a chip in them so you know where they are. Yes. Well, Alan, you're always a joy to talk to and always fun and, and uh, gets our little... Uh, 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 brain waves going there to think about some other things and uh, figure out a way how to protect ourselves as we move forward here. Tell folks uh, about uh, some, what they'll find on your website, Cutting Through the Matrix. They'll find uh, the books I have for sale. They're different from other books. I show you uh, the codings and stuff that's even interwoven in our language that's used by the big boys themselves, mm-hmm. often openly in the newspapers, but we don't see it until you're taught to see it. Um, I go into, I put hundreds of, of free audios for downloads where I go into the histories of, of this kind of movement and the big players behind it down through the different generations to the present. And I tell you where they're going from their own writings. I don't guess about things. I use their own books and biographies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're constantly researching? Oh, constantly, yeah. <laughs> Up in Canada, constantly research. This is your job, right? That's it. There you go. Cutting through the matrix, Helen Watt. Thanks for your time, sir, and uh, well, uh, we'll keep in touch with you. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's an honor, sir. Mr. Alan Watt, and we do it from time to time, every few months or so, just to keep up with what uh, his view of the world is. And it's like it's good to get everybody's uh, 
different view of how they see things, and then we can uh, sit back and have a cup of tea and say, well, I wonder how that fits with me or what my interpretation of the world, and then we get to make our own decision on how we're going to proceed here on Planet Earth Feed. 